This podcast is made possible through donations from listeners like you and our partners at Tallman Equipment, where they pride themselves on equipping their customers with the tools they need to get the job done right. They are dedicated to set the standard for quality, convenience, and reliability. At Tallman, your opinion is important to them. Rate and review any product or tool you've used on their new website at tallmanequipment.com. Line 11 Clothing Company. Making apparel for our first responders with a positive message to patriots that you can be proud of. A proceed of the cost goes to helping our foundation ignite the fire for father engagement. Give them a follow at Line11Clothing on Instagram. And last but not least, Monzingo Knives. Each knife is created with craftsmanship that only a tradesman could provide. Find them on Instagram at Monzingo Knives and get your American-made Monzingo knife today. Welcome to the Show Up Dad and Podcast. This is created for hardworking fathers. At the Show Up Dad, we recognize that fathers providing for their children is certainly important. But when men truly understand their unique role and gain that knowledge and the skills to be great fathers, they can transform and impact future generations. On today's episode, I would like to welcome Carlos Mendez. He is an instructor at Echelon Front. Carlos is a former Navy SEAL who started his career as a medic with the Marines before going through the process to become a Navy SEAL. Carlos served in the SEAL teams as a point man, a medic, a sniper, a close quarter combat instructor with multiple deployments to Southeast Asia, Central America, Iraq, and Afghanistan. Carlos finished his career as the executive officer of a SEAL training detachment. Before becoming an instructor at Echelon Front, Carlos completed his MBA from UCLA and worked as an investment banker at a bulge bracket bank where he worked on mergers, acquisitions, and leverage buyouts. Welcome to our show up, brother. Thank you for having me, David. I appreciate it. Absolutely, bro. Man, I saw you this uh, last weekend where you're talking at one of our big conferences for uh, our industry-wide apprenticeship committee that we do every year, a couple of years or so. Anyhow, um, it was just so awesome just to hear what you had to put down about taking ownership and, and being responsible, committed and intentional in everything you do. Um, that's why I asked you on here, brother. And I just want you to be able to share that with our fathers. Awesome. Yeah, no, I had a great time speaking at that conference. Uh, I met a lot of awesome, hardworking people. I, I always love being surrounded by people like that. So the pleasure was all mine, to be completely honest. Well, let's get this shindig rolling, brother. Can you tell us a little bit about your childhood, if you don't mind? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, so I, I immigrated to the United States when I was four years old um, with a single mom. My father passed away when my mother was actually pregnant with me. So I, I never really met him. I never met him. Um, and so we moved over to the Bay Area. She ended up remarrying another immigrant <laughs> mm -hmm. who was from Czechoslovakia at the time. It's, it's now called Czech Republic. Mm -hmm. um, but I remember my childhood being very strict, um, very goal-oriented, very structured. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, you know, both of my parents, like I said, they're both immigrants. They're both extremely hardworking. So they expected nothing different from me. So I remember my childhood being... A lot of homework, a lot of chores. Uh, for example, you know, I had to do my homework for, for school. Mm -hmm. And then my mother was very big on me not losing my Spanish. 
So not only did I have to do my homework for, uh, you know, regular school, then she would have her Spanish homework that she had for me because she was trying to teach me how to read and write Spanish as well. Right. Um, so I'd have to do book reports in Spanish. And then my my stepdad, who, who you know, I'll, I'll call dad from now on because he's the one that raised me. He, mm-hmm. you know, he's an enormous reason why I am who I am today. So, you know, from from this moment on the podcast, I'll just refer to him as my dad. Mm-hmm. And uh, my dad gave me a lot of chores <laughs> to do because that, that's how he grew up. You know, he yeah. grew up on the Eastern Bloc where life is hard and people have to work hard in order to survive. And he came to the States, obviously didn't have a formal education because he came over here when he was 18. And um, so he was, you know, working his tail off to make ends meet and put food on the table, keep a, you know, roof over our head. So a lot of the chores kind of fell on my shoulders at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I also remember my childhood, you know, I, I didn't have the typical childhood in the sense that I, I wasn't allowed to play with other kids. I wasn't allowed to, you know, play sports because just my parents were so strict and they didn't want me having, you know, bad influences uh, in my life. But I do remember that when my stepdad did have a day off, he would, you know, take us fishing or take mm-hmm. us camping. Um, I always kind of joke around that we used to be uh, gatherers and hunters for our mm-hmm. food <laughs> because we were either like fishing, right? Or we were trying to get crawdads or we would go out to the ocean and try to get crabs or we would be like rummaging through the forest trying to find mushrooms mm-hmm. um, that you know we would bring home and, and he would cook later on that night. And I actually remember a time where he came home with a rattlesnake Wow. He came home with a rattlesnake and he's like, no, you can eat these. They're, you know, they're good eating. So he, he cooked it up and it was actually, you know, at that point in my life, I had tried everything, you know, yeah. because of him. So I'm like, yeah, let's eat this rattlesnake. We ate the rattlesnake. And then he got this crazy idea in his head that we were going to go rattlesnake hunting. <laughs> so we went, we, we grew up in uh, Northern California. And, and if you're familiar with Northern California, yeah. it's beautiful, like lakes, rivers, mountains out there. I mean, there are some gorgeous parts up there if you head out you know, east a little bit from the Bay Area. And so I remember we went out and we were trying to find a rattlesnake. And dude, we went really far. Like we were really far away from civilization at one point. And thinking back now, we didn't find a rattlesnake, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember on the way home, we got some Carl's Jr., which which was a treat because we didn't go out to eat very much at all, but we came home empty-handed. So we went and got some Carl's Jr. But as I grew older, I'm like, Dude, what would have happened if one of us would have gotten bit by a rattlesnake? <laughs> I mean, there were no cell phones back then. You know what I mean? We didn't have yeah. anything to communicate with anybody. And we were far, dude. So thank goodness we didn't find a rattlesnake. But um, that that's kind of how I remember my, my childhood in a nutshell in terms of like what I did for fun. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't have a TV early on. And even when we did get a TV, it was very limited, the mm-hmm. amount of time that we could watch on it. So my entertainment was reading books. You know, mm-hmm. I used to devour books like cover to cover. Uh, we had a reader's digest subscription. And I remember I was the one that would constantly go check the mail. So I was excited when we got a new one, I'd rip it open. Same thing, read it cover to cover. And then uh, Legos, that was like my other, my other uh, pastime. And, uh, you know, looking back now, mm-hmm. dude, I'm, I'm glad that I, I grew up the way that I did. You know, um, I feel like reading helped me a lot in terms of just learning so many different things and, and picking up on the English language because it mm-hmm. wasn't my first language. 
you know? Um, and then Legos, obviously it always, you know, fosters that creativity in a child. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. It seems like your, your lifestyle that you guys grew up in was one that was very unique and dynamic and it kind of based the premise of your career. You know what I mean? If you really think about it, I mean, you're rambunctious, right? You, you worked hard, you had that good work ethic that he showed you and uh, just having that courage to go out there and explore to see what's out there. You know, I mean, rattlesnake hunting, that's, that's pretty awesome. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's frowned upon nowadays, you know what I mean? Like, but back then, I mean, I mean, that's, I think that's amazing. I mean, it fosters that courage in a child, that unique dynamic that boys need that adventurous lifestyle. You know what I'm saying? If that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. And my stepdad gave me plenty of that. And then some, um, mm-hmm. there were plenty of things that, you know, I don't know if you heard Jocko's podcast where I kind of talked about my childhood a little bit and, and growing up with him. Like I said, he was a very, very hard man. Mm-hmm. You know, he was always pushing me to do things that I was scared of. And when I wasn't doing them, you know, he'd call me a Fifina, which is <laughs> a, a, a word in check for, we'll say pansy. That's like the nice word for it. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know who your audience is out there. So, <laughs> I'll um, but yeah, it, it's crazy because I think about it now and people ask me like, why do you think that you grew up to be so resilient? And I think, or I believe, I truly believe that a big reason is because he pushed me so hard. Mm-hmm. He pushed me so hard to do so many different things that I remember as a child thinking, I'm scared to do this or I can't do this, you know, but once you accomplish it, once you push through that barrier Mm -hmm. as a child, that's an enormous confidence booster. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I talked a little bit about the fact that we, you know, we grew, we grew up, uh, I wouldn't say poor, but we were definitely not, not well off. You know, we definitely struggled through life, especially early on. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we were very low income. And at one point, you know, as my, my, my father moved his way up, he, we were accepted to this um, low income program in Sacramento where you were able to build your own house. Mm-hmm. So that offset a lot of the cost. And so a lot of my weekends and, you know, evenings after school were spent on that construction site, building our house. And some of the projects that he would give me, I'm just like, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no way I can do that. And then I would end up doing it. And, I'm, and I would, I remember looking back and looking at my work and being proud of myself and thinking, oh man, like I did that. I accomplished that. That was cool. And so even though I begrudgingly did it, right? Cause no kid yeah. wants to be working on the weekends. Afterwards, I remember looking at it. And now that I'm a grown up, I look back and I'm like, man, that's what gave me that, that confidence, that resiliency was him constantly giving me these enormous projects where I'm like, that's impossible. I can't do that. And little by little, like my brain just started adjusting to, I can't do that to, yeah, I could probably do that. Let's try mm-hmm. it out. You know? Um, oh, yeah. So I absolutely credit my father with, with that attitude uh, that I have nowadays. Mm-hmm. And it's good to see too, that your father, you know, I mean, I know a lot of dads out there who want to do the same thing. They want to engage with their children. They want to have them enjoy what they like as well you know what i mean and just bring them apart along like whether it be taken to the job site or whatever it may be fishing hunting you know etc um it's good to see that your father though he had that relationship with you to where he actually included you and not just included you but actually made you a part of and gave you responsibility you know what i mean to to make that decision you know 
Oh yeah. Yeah. He definitely gave me a lot of room to run with. Um, like I said, like, for example, one of the projects he had me do was do like all the irrigation in the backyard, like all the sprinkler systems, the dripper mm -hmm. systems. Um, you know, we had like a little farm in the back that, you know, I talked about in the other podcast with Jocko, we raised, we, we grew our own vegetables. Mm -hmm. We had a compost pile. We, we raised rabbits. <laughs> that was how we got uh, a lot of our meat was we raised rabbits and all that, all of that stuff was my responsibility, you know? And I remember looking back and I was like, I can't do that. Like, how am I supposed to, you know, build this irrigation? I've never done that before. Or I've never, you know, built a compost compost pile or built a shed or whatever it is that he had me doing out there and then afterwards I was like wow I would look back and be like oh I did it you know and like I said I think it conditioned my brain to change my attitude from I, I can't do this to I, I can definitely do this because my brain would recognize that that feeling of being overwhelmed I guess you know what I mean like when you yeah it's something you're like oh my goodness you know, and I think that in my adulthood, that helped me out a lot, especially like going to Buds and, and going through Hell Week. Like those are two things that I think maybe other people might have looked at as overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Whereas I was like, you know what, let's do it. Uh, I'm going to do it one step at a time. That's that's something I learned as a kid. You know, uh, yeah, these projects are big, but I'm going to do it one step at a time. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's something I tell my son now. I'm like, how do you eat an elephant? <laughs> one bite at a time. And I, I tell him like, you know, during Hell Week, you know, I took it meal by meal. If I can make it to, if I could just make it to breakfast, I'll be fine. I make it to breakfast. Okay. Now I just got to make it to lunch, you know, and I would just take it in small bites. Cause I think if you start off on Sunday night and you're thinking, man, I can't, I can't sleep at all till Wednesday. And I'm going to go five and a half days with two hours of sleep. That's a pretty overwhelming task to just look at like that, you know, one shot. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, that's, that's crazy that you said that about the one bite at a time, you know, I, I utilize that same thing too with uh, when we would go on storm, you know, we'd go to these hurricane ridden places that were just torn apart, right? And everything looks like spaghetti poles are snapped, you know, power lines down all over the place. And when you see that mass destruction like that, you're just like, oh my gosh, where do we even begin? You know, and I remember one of my line daddies telling me, hey, Dave, work one pole at a time, one structure at a time. That's it. That's what we're here for. Don't get overwhelmed. Just, you know, just keep focused on where you're at, be where your feet are, you know? And I like utilizing that even in life because pressures come and go in our lives, you know, whether would you be a husband, a father, a, a Navy SEAL or whatever, a, a lineman, a fireman, whatever, you know what I mean? All these pressures are on us. We have so many different hats that we have to wear as men. And to keep from getting overwhelmed, like you're talking about, you're absolutely right, brother. You have to take little steps, but you got to be moving forward, right? You got to be continuously moving forward, never backwards, correct? Just these little steps, one bite at a time, you know, and, and I like that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I take it even one step further, like you were saying, like, okay, if it gets too hard for me to get to the next meal, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm just going to put one foot in front of the other. <laughs> <laughs> as long as I know I'm continuing to move mm -hmm. and not standing still, I know that I'm going in the right direction. And I heard this saying a while back that I, I really, really liked. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I'm paraphrasing it, obviously, because I'm, I'm mentioning it secondhand. But it's mm -hmm. something along the lines of it's easier for a ship to change course when it's out in the open and moving 
than it is for a ship to change course that's stuck in dock. Mm. So I've always kept that in my mind, like, okay, I'm a little overwhelmed, but you know, what? I'm going to keep moving. I'm just going to keep moving. <laughs> And, and at some point, you know, it, it, it'll become achievable or look achievable to me, but I'm just going to take it one step at a time. Absolutely. <laughs> I remember one time I was having this really, really, really dark place in my life, you know what I mean, with family and everything like that. And uh, my wife, you know, her, her heart stopped Christmas Day in 2018. And it was just a really dark place in my life, you know, and um, I remember telling you know, myself, something that I had heard a long time ago, you know, just like the sun rises and sets every day, this too shall pass. You know what I mean? The sun rises and it sets that we're sure of, you know what I mean? And it's going to pass. It's going to pass. You know what I mean? You just got to keep going forward. You know, can't give up, can't retreat. Just got to keep making that forward progress, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to ask you, Carlos, um, you know, we talked a lot about how your relationship with your father was all this stuff that he showed you and, and how he made you the resilient person you are today. How did your father interact with your mother and how did that affect you? Like, what did, what did you learn from that? Oh man, that's uh that's a tough question to, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I, I don't remember a whole lot how he interacted with my mother. And the reason for it is he, you know, he came from, from a tough spot. So he wasn't what you would call the most affectionate person. Yeah. Um, but, and he was always working and, and, and rightfully so. Right. I, mm-hmm. I, he, this man is the hardest working man I've ever met in my life. Mm-hmm. Like he would literally do anything and everything to provide and put food on the table and keep a, a roof over our head. So he was constantly working. So he was gone a lot. So it's not like I got to watch him interact a whole lot. Cause by the time he got home, I was already in bed. Um, but I will say this. He always took care of his responsibilities. Um, he always did what he said he was going to do. He was a very honest man. He was a very uh, loyal, faithful man. Mm-hmm. Um, and very hardworking. And, and those are the things that I remember him as. And, and to be quite honest with you, I, I didn't have the best relationship with him when I mm-hmm. grew up. It, you know, if we're being completely honest, uh, because he was so hard on me. Mm-hmm. And as a child, you just don't understand the why. Mm-hmm. And because he wasn't a very affectionate person, it's not like I ever heard him like say, oh, I'm proud of you, or I love you, or you're doing a great job. You know, I, I don't, actually, I don't ever really remember him saying that, oh, that was a good job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. as a kid, as, I, as I'm growing up, you know, I have that like sulking attitude. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, he didn't give me this or he didn't give me that or whatever. But now as an adult and having my own son, I look back and I'm like, man, you know what he did was tremendous. Um, in terms of how he treated my mom, he took care of her. He's always faithful and loyal to her. There was never a time where we needed something. If, if something needed to be done, he never made any excuses. He just made it happen. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so those are the things that I remember about him and, and some of my most vivid memories in terms of like what, how he just did whatever it took to make it happen mm-hmm. is, you know, he would, he would work any, any job he can find. I mean, he was like a salesman at Electrolux, literally mm-hmm. go door to door and sell vacuum cleaners. And by the way, he's not what you would call what's the word I'm looking for? A very charismatic person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? So most yeah. salespeople are charismatic. 
like, and he was a good salesman because he went out of his comfort zone. He did what he had to do in order to make it work. And he had an enormous work ethic. So I remember him winning awards for like being a good salesman for Electrolux. Um, eventually he went and, and went to ITT tech and became a drafter. So he would do drafting stuff during the day, come home, take a nap, go deliver pizzas all night long, come back, get a few hours of sleep, do it all over again. And then on the weekends, he would deliver pizzas all day long as well. And all night. Mm -hmm. um, there was a point in time where he was out of work. And so I remember him printing out all these pamphlets and in Sacramento for, for people that are from that area, there's this huge uh, farmer's market called Denio's. I don't even know if it's still around, but it, it was enormous. Mm -hmm. And he, he printed out these flyers and him and I spent all weekend long putting flyers on people's windshields that he would do anything and everything for work. Like if you couldn't show up for work, he would be like a temp worker. If you mm -hmm. needed handy stuff done around the house, he would do it. But it was basically like, hey, I'm here to work. Let me know if there's some work to be done. I'll go do it. So that's the humility that he had, like the do whatever it takes attitude that he had. And I appreciate that about him now as I'm older and I have my own family and kids. And, and that must have been a good feeling for my mom to have had that security that she knew that she had a husband and a father for her, for her sons that would do that for the family. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's pretty awesome to see that your father had that much tenacity to make sure you guys had a great life. Cause I'm sure his life prior to this and prior to your guys' family wasn't that great in the Eastern blockade and stuff like that, where he came from. So for him to work so hard and be that resilient to take on all these different tasks to make sure you guys had a better life here. I mean, that's, that's honorable, you know, and like you said, whatever it takes, well, that's a saying that we always have in our trade. You know what I mean? Every awesome lineman I've ever talked to says, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, you know what I mean? So your dad would have been a good lineman. <laughs> you know? Oh, for sure. He's a hard <laughs> yeah. man. Yeah, you know? that's a hard job you guys do, man. But he's a hard man, super hard worker. And uh, and something that I want to mention too, mm -hmm. especially like, like I said, all these, all these things that I think about, I have a much greater appreciation for them now that I'm older. I have my own family, my own son. But the fact that he took on a child that wasn't his mm. and treated me as his own and, and really raised me to be the man that I, that I am today and had you know, growing up, maybe I wouldn't call him a patient man because I, mm -hmm. I don't think he was a patient man. But but looking back, like I said, for example, when I try to teach my son how to do a chore, especially young. Now, he's 14 now, so this is more like in his younger days. Mm -hmm. I, I would give him a chore, right? And now he does it crappy. Let's say, for example, the dishes. Mm -hmm. I'm teaching him how to do dishes. He does the dishes, but there's water all over the counter, all over the floor. Uh, the dishes aren't done right. And it would be so much easier for me to just be like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. Right. Because it'll take mm -hmm. me five, 10 minutes and I'll knock it out as opposed to the half an hour, 45 minutes that just took him and he didn't even do it right. Mm -hmm. And so having that patience to be like, nope, you know what? Do it again, son. Like you got to do it right. And showing him again and again and again until he gets it right and he's on his own. So doing that with my son, I'm like, man, this was, this is a lot of work. <laughs> so for him, when he was teaching me how to do all these things, for example, change the oil on the car, change the brakes, change the tire, or do things in the backyard, do the dishes, all those things that I'm sure that he had to take the time to actually teach me to do them right. Mm -hmm. That's actually way more work than yeah. doing it himself. <laughs> you know what I mean? So oh, yeah. 
those are the kinds of things that I look back now and I appreciate that he took the time to show me how to do. Mm-hmm. And eventually, like I said, you know, I was very uh, self-sufficient as, as, a, as a teenager because of that. Mm-hmm. Man, just dissecting what you said, you know, because it's interesting because, you know, here you have this man, right? And I picture him just kind of like my own father, you know, to be this hard, rugged man who we think didn't really have patience who would snap, you know what I mean? If it wasn't done right, but looking back and dissecting it, he actually was the epitome of patience. Like you talked about, I mean, cause we all know this crawl, walk, run, right? You you're no one's born with the knowledge. So you got to start somewhere. Correct. And with that, that's what he was showing you. Exactly. He was teaching you how to crawl, walk, run by going over and over and over it again with you and, and showing the utmost patience. That's awesome, brother. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like I said, having my own son has taught me that lesson. Like, you know what, son, that was done improperly. You got to do it again. Let me show you again. And that's what he would do to me. Nope. Go do it over again. <laughs> and that, that requires a lot of patience. <laughs> absolutely. Hey, I wanted to ask you, Carlos, um, now with, you, you talked about how your father, you know, how, he was a very stern man and all this different aspect. And I'm sure, you know, our fathers can only give us what they had. You know what I mean? They can't, yeah, they couldn't yeah. give us what they didn't have. Right. And we, we know that we talked about that on the podcast, you know, in, in different episodes and stuff like that. With that being said, what are you going to teach your son? You know, that, that other aspect of the pie, because your father showed you how to be responsible, how to be committed and all these different things. Right. And providing, But as a father, we all know that we're more than just a paycheck. So what are you utilizing? What are you doing to show and give your child that other aspect of that piece of the pie, which is, you know, being there to support him, to give your son that out of boy that you didn't get or I didn't get when we're growing up. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, uh, I I totally know what you mean. And, you know, when I talk about my dad, Mm-hmm. You know, I talk about all the phenomenal things that he did for me, but like I said, he grew up really hard. So yeah. he didn't get hugs growing up. He didn't have anybody telling him great job. You know what I mean? So he mm-hmm. gave me what he knew best. Um, and that's how he knew how to raise me. And I do believe that there was a tipping point, right? There's a balance to everything. So mm-hmm. I did feel that, that he was so hard on me that he pushed me away. Mm-hmm. He pushed me away to the point like we didn't speak for years, dude. Mm. Um, like I joined the Navy, I disappeared. And it wasn't until I became an adult that I came back and, and we built a relationship again. And now we have a phenomenal relationship, I feel like. So when I had my son, I was like, okay, I really love a lot of the things that my parents did in terms of the structure, the discipline, the, the can-do attitude. But I also don't want to push them, push him away. Mm-hmm. I don't want him to hate me growing up. I want us to have a good relationship. Are there going to be times where he's pissed at me? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I thought about it. I'm like, okay, what can I do different? Because I, I think that all of us as fathers want to say, we want our kids to have better than we did. Mm-hmm. So I want my son to have even better. I feel like what I had is, was great, by the way. Yeah but I want my son to have better. So how do I do that? Okay. Um, I tell him the why Mm -hmm. I tell him the why as to why I'm punishing him, why he has to pay the man, why there are consequences. And then I try to do it in a loving way, Mm -hmm. right? Because it's really tough to tell a kid, Hey son, uh, I'm going to have to punish you, or I'm going to have to take this away from you. 
because I love you when, mm. when you're, when you're irate. So I think that was the first thing that I realized is like, okay, when I discipline my son, it has to come from a place of love and not anger. Mm. Um, you know, it, 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 did I always do that? No. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm an imperfect human being. Um, mm -hmm. But I really, really tried to, okay, when my son does something wrong, I need to take a quick second to really gather myself. And when I tell him the why, why you're about to get grounded, why you're about to get this taken away, you know, why you have to pay these certain consequences, I'm going to do it in a loving way. Like, hey, son, you know what? You did X, Y, and Z. We talked about that. That's not what we do. And, and like we discussed before, there are consequences for your actions, whether they're good consequences or bad consequences. You've unfortunately made a bad decision in this situation. So now here are the bad consequences. But I want you to know, and I always tell him this, I want you to know that I'm doing this because I love you and I want you to grow up to be a good man. Mm. And then, you know, as he got older and older, I was like, why am I doing this, son? Why am I doing this? He's like, because you love me and you want me, you want me to grow up to be a good man. I'm like, mm. yes, sir. That's exactly why I'm doing this. Um, that's one of the things that, that I've tried to do different. Another thing that I've tried to uh, do with my son is giving him a little bit more decision-making in his life. Yes. So I felt like in my life, it was do what I tell you no matter what and don't question it. Mm -hmm. Right? Very old school. Just do what I tell you to. Dictatorship, uh, right? <laughs> 100%. Oh, it was it was a 100% dictatorship in my household growing up. Um, and I think that's what pushed me away. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I don't want him to grow up, move out of the house, one, resent me, and two, grow up and get leave the house and not know how to make decisions. So I got to give him a little bit of rope here to start making his own decisions. Mm -hmm. And so I started finding those little spots where I start having these conversations. And I by the way, I have these conversations with him. I'm like, hey, son, I'm going to let you make this decision as to why you want to do this. The reason I'm doing that is because I want you to start learning how to make good decisions. And I talk about how making good decisions in life is what's going to set you up for success. Mm -hmm. I'm like, listen, son, life is hard as it is. But when you make bad decisions and you're stupid, it's even worse. <laughs> so you got to start learning now the consequences of your decisions. So that's something that I've tried to implement with him. It's like, hey, uh, you know, giving him a little bit more freedom than what I had mm -hmm. and, be, and telling him ahead of time, hey, son, I'm going to give you enough rope to hang yourself. If yep. you make good decisions, good things happen. You make bad decisions, bad things happen. You got consequences and you got to just accept them. So I, I think those are probably the two biggest things. Mm -hmm. and, and obviously being affectionate with him, right? Sometimes as men, we grow up very, especially guys like you and I that grew up in very, old school environments. And then we have jobs that are very tough on top of it, right? Mm -hmm. We're surrounded by pretty many people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. By pretty rough men. And sometimes we forget that. And I, you know, I, I try to tell my son all the time, like, Hey son, just so you know, you're the best thing that's ever happened to me along with my wife. You two are the best two things that have ever happened to me. And I love you. And I, I don't think that's, that's the worst thing for a mm -hmm. boy to hear. No, I agree with you. They definitely need that reassurance. You know, um, one of the things that I've noticed is everybody's always talking about balance, right? Balance. You need to find balance. You need to find balance. Well, I, I thought long and hard about that, Carlos. I did. And um, I started thinking, okay, well, how do you balance? Because something's going to suffer, right? 
you know, you, you want to be, you want to be this driven man at work, correct? You want to create this atmosphere at work to where you're good at work. You're the best at your job, stuff like that. But then something suffers, you know what I mean? Cause you can't be the best at one thing and then the best at the other thing. You know what I mean? I, I don't believe that's, that's even possible. Right. But everybody's always trying to find this balance. So I started yeah. thinking long and hard and I was like, okay, I don't want to be balanced. I want to get in that flow state. I want to be able to flow in that state where I'm able to go in and out and just touch and just be good at everything I do. And just, just get in that, that flow state. I, I'm sure like with you, you know, when you're, you're doing CQB, you're clearing a room, you're doing whatever it is you guys do, you know what I mean? Over there. And, you know, cause you're an instructor and you're teaching these guys to watch your corners and stuff like that. You know what I mean? There's a flow state when you're in that, you know what I mean? There's that, that part of your brain that gets into that position to where everything is just fast and smooth and smooth is quick. You know, and it's the same thing, even in being a father, uh, being a lineman, being a tradesman, you know, you find that flow state where everything is just flowing. The job is going good. Everything is going. And I think we able to, when we recognize that we're able to transition that into even being present with our, our families, with our, with our spouse, with our children, you know what I mean? If that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. And, and I've come to the conclusion that Mm -hmm. there is no balance right right yeah. balance balance to me i look at a different balance is me going back and forth and just being more sensitive as to when i'm actually neglecting something enough to the point where it needs to get taken care of mm. um so it's going back and forth uh you know sometimes i'm crushing it at work and then i realize oh my family life is suffering a little bit time to go back to the family life a little bit and, you know it's kind of just you're, you're just going back and forth mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um that's that's kind of how i look at balance now is like you said just being able to flow back and forth and then recognizing when you are neglecting one thing or another and then giving it the attention that it needs. Having that awareness, right? Just just being there yeah. present, you know. Um, I wanted to transition to our topic of extreme ownership because I know you and Jocko, you guys are, are doing amazing things. You know, um, I've read the book and it's, it's, it's changed my whole perspective on a lot of stuff. I wanted to ask you, what does extreme ownership look like as far as being a husband and a father? How can we apply that? You know, because I know you can apply it. It's pretty universal. You know, I shared a little bit of this on, on Jocko's podcast as well mm -hmm. in, in terms of it, it took me a really long time to realize that these principles apply to your personal life. Mm -hmm. I'll be honest with you. When I read the book the very first time, I read it because I wanted to be a better combat leader. Yes. And so when I read the book, those are the lens that I read it through. Mm -hmm. um, and it took years, by the way, for me to, to recognize this. And, you know, you're married. So, you know, marriage is tough, man. Yes. Anybody who tells you otherwise, they're, they're lying to you. Mm -hmm. um, marriage is tough because you're blending two different personalities, you know, two people that come from completely different worlds and, and you're trying to mesh them together. And there, there came a point in my marriage, you know, where I was, I was a little overwhelmed. And what's funny is, you know, when we, you know, in the book, Extreme Ownership, you have the four laws of combat. Mm -hmm. And one of them is prioritize and execute. And when we talk about prioritizing and executing, one of the things that we talk about is being able to detach from your emotions. But in order to be able to detach from your emotions, you have to find what your red flags are. Mm -hmm. Your red flags are what tells you you're too emotionally involved in that situation. You need to detach in order to make good decisions. And so when I was in the teams, when I was read, when I read prioritize and execute, I'm like, okay, I got to find my red flag. And for me, during training missions and real world missions, when I had the thought pop in my head, I don't know what to do right now. 
that was my red flag. I need to detach from my emotions. I need to prioritize and execute. Mm -hmm. And so, like I said, going back to my marriage, when there was that point in my life where I became overwhelmed in my marriage and I, and I had the thought pop in my head, I don't know what to do right now. And that's when it kind of, I kind of had that epiphany, like, wait a minute, I've had this feeling before and I've known how to react to it. So I'm like, why can't I just use it here? So yeah. I'm like, okay, I need to detach from my emotions. Why am I upset right now? Um, and when I talk about prioritize and execute, there are some things that you take into account, right? Your, your constraints mm -hmm. that are going to help you rack and stack what takes priority. Your biggest one is time, resources, you know, biggest bang for buck. So what can I do? What is the smallest motion that I could do to cause the greatest effect? But then the last one was actually the one that really applied in this scenario. And it was control the things that I, or worry about the things that I have control over. Mm. So it was at that point in my life where I'm like, you know what? I can't control my wife's attitude. I can't control what she does, but what I can control is me. I can control my attitude. I can control what I'm doing. And in my head, I'm like, I have a phenomenal wife. Right, I wouldn't have married her if if she wasn't an you know a, a, an amazing human being. I mean, she's very humble, very caring, driven, smart, funny. So I'm like, so what's the problem? The problem is me, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? And, and, yeah. And, and it took it took a lot of deep thought on my part to be like, I'm the I'm the problem because she's mm -hmm. amazing. Sure, she has her flaws, but I do too, and I haven't really addressed those. So. It was at that point in time where I decided to stop worrying about what, and, and by the way, this is, this part's very important, what my wife's flaws were in my head. Mm -hmm. This is very important. What I felt her shortcomings were as a wife in my head. So I stopped worrying about what I felt she was doing wrong or thought she was doing wrong. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to concentrate on being a better husband. Mm -hmm. That's all I can do. Oh, you know what, I'm upset or I'm frustrated because I don't feel she's as disciplined or as organized as I am. You know what, she's got a lot on her plate. Let me take some of that off. Hey, babe, you know what, this is my fault because I, I could have helped you. I could have done this better. I could have helped you do this. I could have taken this off your plate. So I started doing things to help her out, right? Mm -hmm. uh, in the book, you've read the book. So we talk about cover and move, which yeah. is teamwork, you know, covering for each other. So I'm like, you know what, I could do a whole lot better job covering for her instead of getting mad at her because she didn't do something or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. And um, she was a little bit, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, she wasn't all the way bought in at mm -hmm. first, she's, you know, suspicious. Yeah. She's like, what's going on? <laughs> Who is this guy? Little, yeah, exactly. Like what, what's your angle? But little by little, and by the way, this is with everything, right? It's not going to yeah. happen overnight. When you're trying to influence other people, which is what leadership is, and you start taking ownership, you're not going to just take ownership one day and the next day your team's taking ownership. It takes time. Mm -hmm. So same thing, you know, uh, over time, she started realizing that I was just genuinely just trying to be a better husband. And then mm -hmm. she started doing the same. And, you know, I'm not saying our marriage is perfect, but I'm going to say that we have a great marriage in the sense that we're always trying to cover for each other, you know, instead of jumping to get angry at each other, we're like, okay, what, what did I do wrong in this scenario? And what can I do to help the situation? Mm -hmm. We're more in a mentality of like, all right, let's, 
fix this problem. Let's solve this problem as opposed to let's let's point fingers at each other. Because mm -hmm. you and I both know that once you start pointing fingers at each other, it, it just becomes this never ending cycle that gets you nowhere. Mm -hmm. um, so instead of blaming each other, which just causes the other person to become defensive, mm -hmm. you're taking ownership. Like, hey, you know what? This was my fault that this didn't get done. I should have done this or I could have done this to better help you out. And, and then chances are, if they're a good human being, and, and my wife is a very amazing human being, mm -hmm. they're going to be like, you know what? Actually, this was my part as well. And I could have done this better. No, absolutely. I, I've noticed too, Carlos, like when I start being that example, right? Because we're, we're, we're called to be the leaders of our home. And um, when I start leading by example, which is taking that extreme ownership, I see my wife being more apt to wanting to do the things that I'm doing. When I start working out, she wants to work out, even, exactly. even down to my children. You know what I mean? <laughs> I got my, uh, my baby boy who, you know, he'll do burpees in the house and he'll come up to me. He's like, dad, I got abs like you, huh? <laughs> you, know what I mean? awesome. you know, and that's just him, me leading by example, not telling him what to do. Or like you said, you know what I mean? Just, just being there present and, and, and having that awareness to be able to show them to grow them, I guess is, is the term I like to use. You know what I mean? Sure. Cause you could tell a person, you know, and I know you could tell a person until you're blue in the face, what they need to do. And they're not going to, they're not going to want to do it. Chances are right. Because we all want to have that autonomy where we want to be able to be the person to say, Hey, okay, I'm doing this for me or whatever. You know what I mean? Whatever it may be. But uh, being a husband and a father, when we start leading by example, even with this little case with, uh, you know, being an example to your wife, like the way you were, your child is watching, your son is watching the way you respond to your wife and how you guys react to each other so that's going to be in his brain when he goes out and finds a spouse for himself and he's gonna be like look this is how my parents they weren't perfect but this is how they work together they covered and moved for each other and that that's beautiful brother that is oh that yeah absolutely and that's something that's always in the back of my head especially mm -hmm. when i'm interacting with my wife in front of my son i am very aware that he's gonna take this to his relationship, right? That's one of the examples that he has as to how a relationship should be. And it's, it's pretty cool. Cause now he's 14, he's almost 15 now. So, you know, he can reason mm -hmm. he's, he's a little adult, <laughs> uh, if you will. And he said something to me the other day that made me feel really good. He's like, you know, you, you, you and Camille, you guys are an amazing team. And I'm just like, Oh, wow. That's, that's pretty cool that you, recognize that <laughs> recognize that you know we're, we're always we're not always on the same page but we definitely try to be on the same page and we try to be a team and we try to support each other instead of trying to tear each other down and blame each other for things that have gone wrong and the fact that he recognizes that it's mm -hmm. pretty cool and it's so crazy too because like if you're not aware of that you it's so easy to tear the other person down you know and one of the things that i was always told and i've seen in my own life is that we're apt, you know, like when we see our spouse, we're completely apt or even just with relation with, you know, just having relations with other people in our trade or whatever, you know what I mean? We're always quick to see where they're weak at. And you're like, why are you doing that? Why did you do that like that? I would have done it like this or whatever. What I started realizing with my spouse, when I started getting that, that type of mentality towards her, it's like, why don't you be a leader? 
why don't you help her where she's weak in her areas? Give her a hand up, not a hand out. You know, don't don't just bag on her and say, hey, you know, why are you doing stuff like that? Why did you put the groceries away like that? You know, help her, show her, show her. Because, exactly. yep. you know, we're supposed to balance each other out. You know, there's a saying that I've heard. I'm sure you've heard, you know, you're only as fast as your slowest man. You know, and if, if she's weak in an area, help her get to that point where you're strong in that area and vice versa. Right. Yeah. And then also recognizing that you're imperfect, too. Yep. So I promise you that for everything that you are nitpicking at them. Yep. Trust me when I tell you that she's got her own list of things that she looks at you. And right. Do that, you know. So just realizing you've got your faults too. And believe me when I tell you, she's got her little list of things that she doesn't particularly care for about you as well. <laughs> no, it's, it's funny the way that that turns like that, you know what I mean? It's like, man, we're, we're not in competition. I used to tell my wife all the time, we're not in competition with each other. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, cause sometimes it feels that way, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, Carlos, um, what are some of the negative effects of not owning up to our roles that we've been called into? Like, what have you seen? I think first and foremost, like you were saying, you're, you're just not setting an example. Mm. S- setting an example is the most powerful way to teach somebody. And it's, it's funny because when I go out and do workshops with all these different companies and I ask, you know, how do we teach our teams? how to be leaders, how do we teach them to take ownership? Mm-hmm. And they come up with all these great answers, by the way, right? Mm-hmm. right? You're, you're having them take ownership. Um, you're giving them ownership of the plan. You tell them the truth. And they come up with all these great things that help them become leaders. You show them how to do it. You, you know, you uh, teach one, do one, then have them show one. All great answers. But the one that always kind of gets forgotten is... I show them by leading by example. And so when you fail to do that, I'm going to say, particularly as a father, that's your kid is definitely looking to you and seeing how you react to certain situations. Um, There was a a while back I got, I got pulled over for speeding Mm -hmm. and my son is in the car and uh, you know, the the police officer comes up to my window and he goes, Hey, you were speeding. And I, I, I'm like, dude, my son is watching right now. <laughs> I'm like, you know what, sir? You're absolutely right. I was, I apologize. And he gave me a ticket and my son kind of looks at me. He's like, how'd that ownership work out for you, dad? <laughs> and I'm like, okay. I'm like, you know what, son? It doesn't always work out the way we want it to, but it was the right thing to do. And then he just kind of looked at me and he's like, shook his head. He's like, okay. You know what I mean? Like it, it, you could tell like, he's like, okay, I respect that. Mm-hmm. But I definitely think that he was looking for that reaction to see. And he was kind of poking the bear a little bit. Like, how'd that work out for you? Oh, yeah. So it's kind of, I don't, I don't know, like, hey, see, taking ownership isn't always the greatest thing, I guess, if you will, kind of mm-hmm. comment. Um, so I would say that would be the biggest one. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing is, is what's the alternative? I always say that, like, what's the alternative to you not taking ownership, not solving problems? The problems aren't going to go away. Nope. So if you don't do it, who will? And I talk about this too when I give my keynotes. I mean, you I, you might have heard, sometimes I use it for my closing, sometimes I don't. I talk about um, people who don't take ownership and don't take the initiative to solve problems. 
you know, they, they're stuck in their situation. Mm. That, that, that problem is not going away. And there's nothing in, by the way, in their head, there's nothing they can do about it because it's everybody else's fault, right? Mm-hmm. Nothing is their fault. So if nothing is their fault, their fault, they can't do anything about it. So that problem doesn't go away and they end up feeling frustrated. They end up feeling helpless mm-hmm. and they end up just being unhappy people. I don't think I've ever met someone who doesn't take ownership is constantly blaming other people or is constantly the victim. That's a happy person. Wow. Um, so, so that's what I think about is what's the alternative. That problem's going to still be there. And mm-hmm. are you always going to get the result that you want? No, but you know what? You're, you're, you're at least controlling some of the narrative. You're mm-hmm. controlling what's going on. You're controlling some of those consequences. Hmm. No, for sure. I mean, man, when you're just talking about that, I thought about that victim mentality that plagues so many people. And you're absolutely right. You know, if you're not part of the, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. And when you choose to stay there and have that victim mentality, you're never going to go forward. You're not, nothing's going to change. You're going to be a bitter, unhappy person, man. Absolutely. And I tell my son that all the time. I'm like, son, you are not a victim. And, and you know what? That's something that my parents, mm-hmm. you know, raised me with. Like I said, we grew up poor. We grew up, uh, you know, I didn't speak English at all, actually, when I moved to this country. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got made fun of a lot. One, I didn't have the cool stuff, you know, going to school. Uh, I didn't speak English very well. Um, you know, I, if you think for one second that I didn't hear a racist comment growing up, you're wrong. I heard mm-hmm. it all. You know, I've heard every name in the book. Mm-hmm. And my mom would always tell me, like, that's on them, son. They're like, how many languages do they know how to speak? Exactly. Oh, one. They're like, if anything, she's like, you should feel sorry for them. You should feel sorry for their ignorance that they're so unhappy in their lives that they feel the need to make fun of you and yours. Mm. And, you know, as a kid, you don't quite get it. It still mm-hmm. hurts. And you're just like, whatever, mom, you know? Yeah. But, but at the more she says it to you, the more it, it just becomes ingrained as you're part of the personality. And I never, ever grew up ever thinking that I was a victim, ever feeling sorry for myself. Mm-hmm. I'm glad she did that. And I think it's sad that a lot of parents these days are, are letting their kids get away with that attitude or even worse yet, instilling it in them. Exactly. Right? Yep. Like, oh, you already started off a leg down. I'm like, really? Is that really the, the mentality that you want to set them off into this world with? Uh, yeah. But hey, you know what? That, that's my two cents. Yeah. From, from the, just my point of view and how I grew up and what I've seen in life is mm-hmm. that victim mentality, blaming others. It gets you nowhere. And I've, like I said, I don't think I've ever seen someone with that attitude that was a happy person. Mm. No. And I agree with you 100%, Carlos, because I mean, really think about it, you know, those kids that were bagging on you during that time and stuff like that. What came to my mind is what were they learning at home? Yeah. What were their parents showing? Cause they, you kids learn stuff, right? They pick up and they're going to pick up from those who their peers, their, their parents, you know, the, the people they're around the most, you know what I mean? The most influential people in their lives. And that's what they're picking up at home. So you're absolutely right. If you're, when you're, 
having that victim mentality as a father. And when you're constantly blaming everybody else, it's not my fault. They didn't give me a raise because I'm black. I'm white. I'm yellow. I'm whatever. You know what I'm saying? Um, where are where we're at because of inequalities or whatever. You know what I mean? And having that victim mentality, you're teaching your kids to be in that same mindset, same mind frame, and they're going to grow up and it's going to continue to pass on from generation to generation until someone steps up and says, hey, we're not going to think like that. We're going to put a stop to this, this, you know, lack of better words, bull crap, because we're not going to freaking feel sorry for ourselves anymore. You know? Yeah. And I, I tell my son the same thing, you mm-hmm. know, um, he definitely doesn't have it as hard as I do, but there, he, he definitely goes to a school where there are a lot of other kids who are, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, way better off mm. <laughs> than he right? is. Uh, he, he's definitely... And in, in, by the way, we have a phenomenal life, but in his school, mm-hmm. he is probably one of the lesser well-off kids. And so I, I, I tell him that, you know, like when he looks around and he's like, you know, these kids have that, these kids have this. And, he, and, and it's, it's tough to instill that in him. Like, listen, son, you have a phenomenal life and you need to be grateful for what you have. Mm-hmm. And something really cool that happened the other day is, you know, he was telling me about this other kid who from the outside looking in, looks like he's got everything, mm-hmm. right? He's got every shoe you can think of, any any device or any toy that a 15, 14 year old kid could ever want, he's got, right? And he was telling me that he watched the interaction that he had with his dad. And it was, it was, it warmed my heart to see him talk about it. Cause he's like, man, he just punks his dad. Wow. He's like, that would never happen in this household. He's like, he really doesn't respect his dad at all. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, whoa, like he has the insight, the emotional maturity to look at that and realize that that is not a healthy relationship between that father and son. Mm. And then he goes, hey, I know that would never fly here. And I'm glad that you've raised me the way that you have. Wow. Yeah. So that was pretty powerful in terms of like, oh, wow, my 14 year old. Because sometimes, you know, when you're talking to your kid, you're like, man, he, is he really getting this? Getting, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Is yeah. You know what I'm saying getting through. And every once in a while, like this, this ray of light mm-hmm. shines through and you're like, oh, wow, he is listening. He is paying attention. So. And that's kudos to you and your fathering and, you know, you and your wife as, as parents, you know what I mean? Because he was able to recognize unhealthy relationships. He was able to recognize that, Hey, that is not okay. (laughs) You know what I mean? And that ain't going to fly at our home. You know what I mean? But, uh, you know, that, that's, that's really awesome. Carlos, um, dude, you're an amazing dude. And I appreciate you coming on to the show and just sharing all this, this great information that we're going to be able to share to our audience. Um, where is there a place to get a hold of you on Instagram if people have questions? Because I know you're very big on the gram and you're, you're everything's blowing and taking off for you. So I would <laughs> like, you know what I mean? How, how can how can they get a hold of you if they have questions? I, I wouldn't say I'm blowing up on the gram. As a matter of fact, I've never had social media until <laughs> I joined Echelon Front. <laughs> hey, it's growing, brother. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, yeah, my my Instagram is very, uh, very young, if you will. But yeah, it's a uh, Carlos underscore Mendez underscore two, four, six. I, I think mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm, I feel terrible that I don't even know what my handle is. 
I I'll put, I'll put it on the notes. <laughs> yeah. It's Carlos uh, underscore Mendez underscore two, four, six. And then you can just find me on LinkedIn as well. Um, uh, yeah. Just Carlos. <laughs> Mendez. I right. I'm, pretty, I'm fairly new to the social media game. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, well, you're doing amazing things, Carlos. And I thank you once again from our audience to you, brother. Thank you for coming on here and just being able to, to share with our audience, you know, what it, what it takes to be a show up dad. You know, we, we appreciate you. No, well, I appreciate you having me on. And dude, when you told me about this podcast, this is a pretty awesome thing that you're doing, man. I think this is phenomenal. This is a great conversation that, that we need to have, you know, as men and as fathers and, and as husbands and um, as leaders in our community. It's, it's, a, it's phenomenal what you're doing here as well. So I appreciate you, David. Absolutely. Well, thank you, brother. We'll be seeing you down the road. Thanks, man. Have a great one.